Hey everyone, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this podcast as a free and independent educational resource, you can show your support by making a monthly donation at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. As longtime listeners of this show know, I put a ton of labor and love into making this thing, so every little bit adds up. You can also make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Andrea, Ashley, and Giorgio for their recent contributions. Okay, let's get on to today's episode, part one in a brand new series on food words. Reptiles, birds, arthropods, and other classes of animals all lay eggs. And since reptiles, birds, and arthropods have been around on this planet for longer than we human beings have, it should come as no surprise that egg derives from an ancient root word. We can trace the origins of the word egg all the way back to Proto-Indo-European, that is, the first Indo-European language spoken on the Eurasian steppe about 5,000 years ago. The reconstructed Proto-Indo-European word for egg is something like aoyo, which possibly derives from awi, the reconstructed Proto-Indo-European word for bird. We have to reconstruct these root words because the Proto-Indo-European language was spoken long before humans developed a system for writing things down. Awi ultimately gives us modern English words such as avian, aviary, and aviation, so if this hypothesized derivation of aoyo from awi is correct, then this family of bird-related words and egg are ultimately cognate. What is a bit surprising is the fact that egg is not a native English word. Modern English vocabulary is an amalgam of Latin, French, Norse, and some Greek mixed with a native English base. Our most basic vocabulary describing everyday things tends to come from that native English base. Words for things like body parts, pronouns, numbers, livestock, and so on. These kinds of words tend to be more resistant toward the various forces of language change over time. Given the ubiquity of eggs, both as a means of reproduction and as foodstuff, I'm inclined to categorize the word egg as basic vocabulary. But as it turns out, the word egg was actually borrowed into English from Old Norse. First attested in the Middle English written record during the 14th century, Egg was probably borrowed centuries earlier during the Old English period, sometime between the 8th and 10th centuries CE, when the Old Norse-speaking Vikings had invaded and ruled over much of the British Isle. Today, many English speakers, such as myself, pronounce egg with an initial e sound, but the original Old Norse and Middle English pronunciations would have had more of an a sound. Depending on the dialect of modern English, some speakers today still pronounce this initial vowel in the more conservative way. Now, English didn't borrow egg from Old Norse because it didn't have a word for egg. Rather, the Old Norse word replaced the Old English word for egg, and we'll discuss the reasons why in just a minute. The Old English word for egg was a, which sounds a heck of a lot like egg, and that's because both a and egg ultimately come from that same Proto-Indo-European root word, oio. 
But the genetic relationship between these two words is actually much closer than just sharing a prehistoric root word. Both Old Norse and Old English are Germanic languages, which means they both descend from a common ancestor language called Proto-Germanic. The Proto-Germanic word for egg is reconstructed as ayaz. So it's not entirely inaccurate to think of the Old Norse egg and the Old English a as two dialectical variations of a single root word, ayaz. The Old Norse egg and Old English a were used in English simultaneously, but in different regions of the country. To speak in broad strokes, in the north and east of England, where English had a greater Norse influence due to the geography of the Scandinavian Danelaw during the 8th through 11th centuries, egg was the more prominent word, while in the south and west of England, which was outside of the Danelaw, the more traditional native English word a was more prominent. For those of you wondering, the earliest attestation of the native English A in the written record occurs in an Old English translation of the Latin poems known as Meters of Boethius, dated sometime between the 9th and 10th centuries CE. The earliest attestation of the Norse-derived egg, more specifically the plural agus, appears in 1377 in the famous Middle English work Piers Plowman, generally attributed to William Langland. Egg and A represent just one example of a difference between regional English dialects during the late Old English and early Middle English periods, but it just so happens that these two words, egg and A, are at the heart of one of the best-known anecdotes in the written record concerning the evolution of the English language. If you're a History of English buff, you may have heard this story before, and if you're a longtime listener of the History of English podcast, Kevin Stroud also discussed this story several years back. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, let me first share some context and then the anecdote. In the late 15th century, William Caxton introduced the printing press to England and became the first English book retailer. Today, we have a standard form of our language, both in spelling and pronunciation. But in the 15th century, no such standard existed. People spelled words phonetically, and two people living in different parts of the country could have drastically different pronunciations of the quote-unquote same word. If you're trying to publish books in a country where everyone speaks and spells differently, you can imagine how that might pose a problem. Well, in William Caxton's preface to his English translation of Virgil's Aeneid, Caxton recounts a linguistic misunderstanding that allegedly took place between a merchant from the north of England and a woman from Kent. The anecdote has absolutely nothing to do with the Aeneid, but rather is a frustrated reflection on the difficulty of publishing English books in a world of unstandardized English. In Caxton's anecdote, he describes merchants from the north of England who were traveling southward on the Thames by boat. After some time, it became hard to catch any wind, so they docked and set off in search of some food in the region of Kent, which is in the southeast of England, and the following episode took place. First, I'll read you the passage in the original Middle English, and then again in Modern English. As I read the Middle English version, listen for the word irin, which is the plural form of a, that native Old English word for egg. Quote, And one of the merchants, Sheffelde, a mercer, came into an house and axed for mete, 
and especially he acted after Aegis, and the good wife answered that she could speak no French, and the merchant was angry, for he also could speak no French, but would have had Aegis, and she understood him not. And then at last another said that he would have an earin, and the good wife said that she understood him well. Lu, what shall the a man in these days now rita, Aegis or earin? Certainly it is harder to place every man by cause of diversity on change of language. And now, in modern English. Quote, And one of the merchants named Sheffield, a mercer, came to a house and asked for food, and especially he asked for Aegis, and the good woman answered that she could speak no French. And the merchant was angry, for he also could speak no French, but he wanted to have Aegis, and she did not understand him. And then at last another said that he wanted Erin. Then the good woman said that she understood him well. Lo, what should a man in these days now write, Aegis or Erin? Certainly it is hard to please every man because of diversity and change of language. End quote. So, the merchant from the north asks a woman from the southeast for some eggs, and the woman doesn't understand the word for eggs. She mistakes it for French. But when one of the mercer's companions clarifies that he wants Erin, the woman understands. Note that Erin is not only different from the word eggs, but it also uses a different inflected suffix to form its plural. Eggs uses the familiar S plural ending found in modern English, whereas Erin uses the plural suffix N. That's the same N found in the irregular plural nouns children, brethren, and oxen. In Old English, that N suffix was used in a class of nouns known as weak nouns, and with the exception of these three words, it's no longer used in modern English. Unlike modern English, Old English was a highly inflected language with many different noun endings. By early modern English, the plural S ending had one out as the standard form for most nouns, and that's because this trend had developed in the East Midlands dialect, which would go on to become the precursor to today's standard English. However, throughout the Middle English period, there was still a lot of variation in grammar throughout the country, and this old plural ending, N, in Iren, gives us a glimpse into that. By the 16th century, the Norse egg had come to replace the native English a altogether. The most probable reason for this is due to the Great Vowel Shift. The Great Vowel Shift was a series of sound changes that took place between roughly 1400 and 1700, and it affected the pronunciation of long vowels in English. Under the influence of these changes, a started to be pronounced I, just like the body part. These two words were not only pronounced the same, but they were also often spelled the same. Two words that have different meanings but are pronounced the same are called homonyms. Homonyms are totally normal in language, but if you have two forms of the same word, and one of those forms helps differentiate it from another word that sounds exactly the same, it's likely that the more differentiated form will replace the homonymic form. Thus, the linguistic natural selection of the Norse word 
egg over its more ambiguous native English cognate. Now that we've covered Caxton's famous anecdote and a bit about the etymology of egg, I'd like to return for a moment to some pure etymology that I think you'll find interesting. When you eat an egg, there are two parts to it, the egg white and the yolk. The technical name for the egg white is the albumen, which derives from the Latin word albus, meaning white. The word yolk derives from the Old English word yeloka, which literally means yellow part, and yes, yolk and yellow are cognate. The word egg not only refers to the hard-shelled kind laid by birds and lizards and the like, the word egg is also used colloquially to refer to ova, that is, female reproductive cells. Ova are produced by ovaries, and if you have ovaries and are within a certain age range, you probably ovulate. Ova, ovary, and ovulate all derive from the word ovum, which was the Latin word for egg, including the edible kind. Eggs are shaped like ovals, and oval belongs to this same family of words as well. Relevant to our theme of food words, the proper noun ovaltine, a brand that makes a milk-flavoring product that I've never had in my life, also takes its name from the Latin word for egg, since eggs are one of Ovaltine's main ingredients. But the connections don't stop there. If we trace that Latin word ovum all the way back to Proto-Indo-European, it derives from that reconstructed word aoyo, which you'll recall is also the ultimate source of the word egg. So egg, ovary, oval, ovaltine, and very likely the words avian and aviation, are all descendants of a single Proto-Indo-European root word. Now that we've covered some history of the word egg, both in the food and reproductive senses, let's turn to the egg in the idiomatic expression to egg on. To egg someone on is to urge them to do something stupid, but the literal meaning of egg here, which, by the way, is not a noun but a verb, is confusing. You might be inclined to think that there's a connection between this idiom and the idiom to have egg on your face. If you have egg on your face, you look stupid due to something you've done, so if someone eggs you on, you might wind up with egg on your face. But that connection is a coincidence. The egg in to egg on is actually a completely different word from the egg that we eat. It has its own etymology and means something completely different. But because that word hasn't survived outside of the idiom, this etymology is unclear to us today. Like the noun egg, the unrelated verb to egg was also borrowed into the English language from Old Norse. The word derives from the Old Norse egja, meaning to urge or incite. This is confusing, but this Old Norse verb actually derives from another Old Norse noun, egg. Not our sense of egg, but a different egg that meant edge, particularly the edge of a sword or blade. In fact, the modern English word edge is cognate with the egg in the idiom to egg on. However, edge is a native English word that first appears in the Old English of Beowulf. Both edge and the egg into egg on ultimately derive from the reconstructed Proto-Indo-European root word ak, meaning sharp. 
Knowing this, the literal meaning of to egg someone on originally would have conjured an image of poking someone with a sword. The phrasal verb egg someone on was a later development that came about in the 15th century. I should also note that the verb egg primarily meant to sharpen, a usage attested in the late 13th century, and the sense meaning to incite or urge someone to do something stupid is a metaphorical extension of this. While we can't say for sure whether the noun or the verb entered the language first, according to the written record, the egg in egg on is about a century older than the word for the eggs we eat. All right, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Again, I'd like to remind you that if you're a regular listener and you want to help keep this boat afloat, you can make a monthly contribution at patreon.com slash words for granted. You can also make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash words for granted. I also encourage you to leave a rating and review on whatever podcast player you use because those really help the show grow and give me feedback about how I can make the show better. I'm on Twitter at at Words for Granted and Facebook as Words for Granted. And you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day, everyone. I'll talk to you soon.